everyone and welcome to the uh, interjections podcast the undiscovered decade a podcast where we look back 30 years into the 1990s and try to find the hidden gems of the decade month by month we're up to july 1993 and i have two reasons i think Corey picked this one uh interesting film uh there's a woman who's murdered in a uh, business downtown LA. Uh, it's a Japanese business. So people from Japan have interest in keeping things quiet and fast. And then they send in two detectives that are experts, possibly in Japan. Uh, one definitely an expert, uh, played by Sean Connery. The other, Wesley Snipes. This is the thriller Rising Sun, which you can imagine is... Uh, Pretty good title for a film about murder and uh, Japan. So, what do you what do you think those two two reasons are? So, so I have one is the author. Know that? Yeah. What's the other one? You have it's a crush of Tia Carrera. It's Michael Crichton, by the way. So two two months in a row, uh, Michael Crichton had his novels adapted for the screen. This one. Did not do as well as Jurassic Park, but it did uh, pretty well considering it's, it's one of our better hidden gems. So in this regard, Financial. it's more of a it's more of a oh, I never knew Sean Connery and Wesley Snipes did a movie together at this point. You know, a buddy cop movie, right? So, are they buddies though? Are they buddies? I mean, yeah. not <laughs> really. No, no, they're not buddies. It's a mentor student. It's a semi and a I, I need to start. True. I need to start off with a story though, because you're you're underselling the beginning of this movie. Um, oh right. <laughs> so the beginning's uh, confusing. I I honestly yeah. it's confusing. I tried to. I was I was on a flight out for a job earlier this week. Did you do it on the way watch, there? I was trying to watch the movie on the plane or on the way back. I turned it on and two minutes in there's a sex scene and i'm like i can't Ugh. i can't do this there's people around this is, this is i'm not gonna be that guy wait you missed yeah, but there's something else happened what what was before that sex scene there was a a western and i thought i was watching the wrong movie yes and that was kind of cool it was a karaoke music video yeah yeah i love that yeah, that was that was a nice. Fake I forgot about that. Direction was so weird. Yeah, unnecessary, but I did. Like I think it. it was a way. I think it was a way I've of saying it's like, this is not going to be your typical uh, western, right? Yeah. It's basically or, you know uh, cop uh -huh. genre. It's a it's an eastern. Yeah, yeah. it's an eastern yeah. western. Um, but, yeah, so so the yeah. So I've always I've always cool. wanted that to happen where there's some other thing happening and oh you're actually watching a movie with the characters you're going to care about. So. Right. It's unprecedented, and then when it happened, it 
they never go back to it. So it was kind of weird to have a film within a film. It it sort yeah. of taught me not to ever do that, actually. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I feel like, imagine you buy your ticket, you wander in the first two minutes, you're like, I'm leaving. I'm, clearly, I'm in yeah. the wrong theater. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you change a reel? Yeah. Right. There's gremlins in the booth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way this is paced at the beginning is very odd because it comes off. There's even like Saturday morning cartoon wipes across. The yeah. Street. Oh yeah. Oh, and uh, the I, editing I, I, is strange. I was also confused with the tone of the movie when uh, when they start yes. off with, like the the political part when they start showing like right. oh no Japan I'm just like uh, are we Japanese. still mad about like, World War Two? Yeah, we 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 got them pretty good. There's like we shouldn't be afraid of the Empire coming back. Like that was a weird one. I was like, is this is this are they? It's like setting the Japanese up like the like the North Koreans of today because like yeah. the cold war just ended. So it's like, what do they get? And like, I also have like in my memory uh, from like when I was like in high school, I found like newspaper clippings my grandmother had and she had right, right, right. one of the Berlin wall coming down. And it was a few years after the fact and the political like climate was like, should we keep the Germanys divided? So that way they don't come back to power and try to conquer the world. Like people were all of a sudden afraid of that again. So it was like, I mean, is, is, this, is this the post Cold War uh, Cold War era, like where we're looking back to the old bad guys and like they're not a threat? It kind of feels like you got to think about the filmmakers. Like Michael Burton's born in the early forties. Philip Kaufman, yeah. the director, is born in thirty six. So they're definitely a product of uh, their parents being fearful of the, yeah. the Axis yeah. powers, you know. So yeah. I could see but that. The, but then, like later on in the movie, that that was uh that that came up that actually ended up being kind of a red herring to get in the mind, like to get us to think like, oh yeah, maybe the Japanese are the bad guys, but like, mm-hmm. not really. The movie itself is kind of xenophobic towards Americans and Japanese. Yeah, well, it's it's yeah. really yeah. weird. Totally it's, it's it's really toeing the line of appropriation at some point because like mm-hmm. you know it takes place in in like the murder and a majority of the film takes place inside of this japanese company where they basically treat it like the japanese embassy like once sean connery shows up he's like it's just sean connery explaining japanese culture to wesley snipes for two hours and yeah. it's really weird that's some... almost clairvoyant too like he pretty much telegraphs everything that's going to happen and that just happens exactly yeah like that. He's definitely... He, he just weirdest. Connery X Machina's the whole thing. He does. Yeah, he's a little bit of a weeb, though. <laughs> this is the yeah. weirdest... I, yeah, he, he's a weeb before... He's, he's way too... Into, he's like... Fake. He's yelling at them in Japanese when yeah. they're trying to talk to him in English. Yeah. I'm like, I know you're trying I to mean, prove I, a point, but there feel yeah. it feels like there's a bit of a disconnect here. I, yeah, no, I, it, it, I really felt like he went there, like, twice. And he's yeah. like, you know, I know what it's like to live in Tokyo. I you know, it's Japan funny. Technically, once. he did go there like once or twice, but he was yeah. there for a long time each time. Right. So, yeah, like, I mean, like, technically, you're right. He lived there. Like, for he, real, he's, he's accurate. It's just weird. It's just seeing Sean Connery, someone like Sean Connery in that context. Yeah. And he's a little mansplaining, which is fun, but still disconcerting. And he like deliberately calls Wesley Snipes the junior cop. Yeah. In, yeah. in Japanese, whatever it is. I yeah. thought they had good chemistry, the two of them. Despite of that, yeah. movie. despite I that, I liked the two of them. Yeah, I just think it's funny, and even though it's a little weird, I liked Sean Connery's performance. I liked, like you said, the chemistry. Uh, yeah. Wesley Snipes, I've bec- I've been uh, becoming a huge fan of because we're we're almost like 
going through his filmography. We've seen him oh, pop up a couple times. This is whether him on the rise before Blade. Yeah, so I had heard of him from stuff like Demolition Man, but I never saw any of them. And then when he got huge with Blade, I kept thinking, like, why this guy? Just because oh, I yeah, never no, saw no. any of it. So I'm I'm kind of appreciative of discovering some of these actors that are sort of just in the 90s. So almost Wesley Snipes is our hidden gem at this mm-hmm. point because he had to disappear for a while. Yeah, so, no, everybody forgets about him, but like he's actually he's really good. Uh, I think it also doesn't help that like later on down the road he he got like uh, in trouble for like uh, tax, tax evasion. That's yeah. exactly what does. Yeah. 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 So like he, I like it's weird. Like he he laid low, and I don't know if it's yeah. because of that or just like Hollywood think, just doesn't want to touch him because like oh no 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 you're tainted like you don't well, pay your taxes. It sounds like he was he kind of terror on set too, based on stories I heard about the production of like Blade Trinity and stuff. Oh like yeah, that. yeah. So he was kind of a prima donna. Yeah, but at that point, he was kind of like, this is the third one of a your franchise. There's a certain leeway you can give, but don't be a complete asshole. Right. So, yeah. I don't know. There's a way to I think about like Keanu Reeves and the John Wick series. You don't hear anything about him on set, but I don't yeah. know. <clears throat> um, I still you like know, him in these films that we've been watching. You notice there's a, uh, there's a plot thread in this that I wonder if there's a longer director's cut of this that they completely abandoned. At one point, they're doing surveillance around this party. Mm. And Wesley Snipes pauses for a second. He's like, that's my ex-wife. Yeah. 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 I was like, I, okay, I mean, well, that's gonna, that will surely lead somewhere, right? I feel, no, feel like that's just, just, no, I think that's just a, just a sneaky way to put backstory the, uh, in. She's it was a weird red herring that went nowhere. There's that voicemail later that's like, what are you doing being a criminal now? Like, you're fucking up. Mm. That's it. You, I, I know that's about to be. So, yeah. I, I literally wrote that note when I was watching. I'm like, let's see if Snipes' ex-wife comes back into play. And yeah, just via phone. Yeah, they uh, don't just, even explain. They say, "Oh, this is well, Lisa or something, whatever her actual character name yeah. is." Well, she comes. And, you know, you wouldn't know if you weren't really paying attention to her <laughs> character for like the, over over the phone. She tries to say that she's taking the kid. Yeah, but. Like we never see her again, so I'm wondering if it's like she's just an obstacle know. in the movie. It's just weird that they would even have they like could have cut that out of the movie and it would have right. It must have been filmed somewhere. Maybe there's a confrontation at his house with the kid or something. I don't know. I'm conjecturing. Yeah, now I, I kind of want to look up. Maybe there's more in the book. Some... I don't know. Um. Probably is. I mean, it's always it's always bigger in uh the book there's more expansion you know this you know Obviously. what you know who really gets a shaft in this movie is uh harvey Keitel. Hmm. he's like the third leg of the uh per- police procedural and he's just there to be racist yeah yeah pretty much he's there to be a real bad lieutenant and say things like if i wanted to get mercury i'd eat a thermometer yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Although to be fair, oh, the the uh, the movie the movie's kind of uh, a little culturally backwards anyway with the uh, Tia Carrera character. I don't oh. know if they were continuing that practice when she was born. Yeah, birth defects. Yeah, how did we feel from about what that? I read, one? From what I read about the book, there was a lot of controversy around them. Um, the uh, the depiction of the japanese in the book 
I don't know <laughs> yeah. if they altered yeah. it anymore for the movie, but uh, I was I, I was see why people were be on upset. that too. No, yeah. especially at the beginning of the movie and towards the middle, I was like, oh, what are they getting at with the Japanese here? But uh, to be uh, totally honest, they're not flattering towards any demographic in this because no. later yeah. on, when they're being chased, they go into uh, the ghetto, and some mm -hmm. of Wesley Snipes' black friends try to deter the villains from following them, and they're basically gang. I think they even call them gangbangers. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, they do. No, it's it's a. Uh... Funny with uh, Tia's character, I was like, I brought this up with Tristan. I was like, is it still blackface if they only change her hair and just let her, like, you know, get a little bit tanner? And but like, I noticed with like a little lipstick that they made her look a little darker. But like, she definitely has like black hair because she's like, Vietnamese, she's, right? Like, no, she's uh, like Hawaiian. Filipino or something, right? She's Hawaiian. Hawaiian, yeah. She's Hawaiian. So, like, she's Pacific. Yeah. She's Pacific Islander, but like, she's not. She's not actually mixed. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. So I had the subtitles on at some point because. Sean Connery gets real mumbly in this one, and he's really like oh, yeah. just screaming at each other. Plus, you wanted the plane oh. to know what you were hearing, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> but it, the yeah. funniest thing was like when everyone's talking in Japanese, the subtitles just reduced to speaking Japanese. I'm like, really? Because that kind of like increases the. Yeah. It does, you know. I know sometimes for for effects, they won't put subtitles in because they want there to be that disconnect. That's what they did this time, for but, sure. Yeah, they did that for the Wesley Snipes character. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what were you but obviously, he wouldn't be able to understand it, but, like, you want the audience to kind of, like, other than the tone that it was spoken in, I don't know. Yeah, I always, I always wonder these days, because you turn something on and the settings on your TV are always different from what they intend. So I'm always worried that I'm missing something and you're 10 minutes in and you were supposed to hear something. Or read something in this case. And I think it's just, I don't know if that's an American sentiment where we expect to know everything, but sometimes yeah. it is to the filmmaker's advantage to hide some of what the other country's people are yeah. trying to convey. And then they can yeah. do stuff with their eyes, their faces, their looks. You know, I think that, I think it was effective here, but obviously if you're on a plane trying to get through it, you know. Maybe you'd prefer that, you know? I mean, I guess they get played into, you know, because at the end of the day, this is a murder mystery. So I guess it plays into yeah. obscuring things that were said mm. until they need to be revealed later on. I think there should be... He says things to certain characters that are just like, maybe he was hinting at suspicion. I don't know. Yeah. I think the subtitle world isn't as effective as it could be. You know, the people that make these captions. Well, you no, know, the, the thing was, though, that, like, if there's, I don't know. I think there's if it's meant to like be seen, it would like, exist on the, flame, on, on the film. Right. It's not meant to be seen. Because, you know, obviously the subtitles that I watched were generated by whatever software right. platform was playing the movie. If an elevator's gonna talk, I better speak American. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> David Harvey. Literal quote from the movie. Thanks. Oh uh, god, everything he says is vile. Yeah. Um, I thought that was it's pretty on brand for him, fine. honestly. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um But anyway, moving on. This is the weirdest origin for deep fake technology. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is oh. it? Which is which is still too futuristic even for today. 
that what was, is it where I mean, I mean, was... at least uh, when when they put it up, they they at least like uh, brought it up. Like, yeah, no, you you do have to like physically go in and edit, but like, and need a human to actually but do the, the most. Uh, I was yeah. fine with them switching heads. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then when they did when they did it in the like the mirror, the motion, I was like, yeah. you can't even you couldn't even do that seamlessly now. No. Yeah, no. Um, very funny though, having all the uh, talks about AI, and they're like, "Well, you still need a person to edit this." Well, it was weird because uh, I was thinking, "Where does the Michael Crichton science fiction aspect come into this?" Right. And clearly, that for those. Okay, so that's for for those listening at home. Part of the I never watched this. Yeah. Right. Part part of the. Well, no, I'm just whatever. That part of the movie can revolves around someone doctoring a tape, and yeah, it it all like. A lot of the premise revolves around them using this futuristic video technology that a majority of right now is, you know, watching it 30 years later is super outdated. Yeah, but, but also somehow a little relevant because of deep right. fake technology. They call right. it the gizmo. No, no, the gizmo is the just moving the camera within the security room, which is kind of also not really that okay, sort of yeah. science I guess fiction as well. There's a couple examples of technology that are... Yeah, they're flexing like, on like, 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 they're they're, like oh, it's a gizmo. Antiquated. Yeah, but yeah. like I guess it also plays in the dongle. The, uh, the, the like the backstory backdrop of the uh, politics involved because like uh the, yeah the Japanese are like on on the uh, edge of tech like to, like uh, breaking technology and uh, developing like new stuff and like uh, one of the, one of the things that's going on in the background and it, like come like uh, it comes to the detective's attention because they kind of have to deal with it a little bit um, is that like. Uh, there in dc there's also uh like congress is trying to rather uh, pass whether or not to like sell uh certain like high-tech components to the japanese because like potentially they could use it for weapons and the japanese are like no like legitimately we, like, we could use this stuff for like you know like good and like developing like awesome stuff that doesn't mean war uh mm -hmm. because like they actually bring up how like uh years prior in the movie uh how uh congress denied jap the japanese like certain uh technologies to sell one year and then the next year they're like and they said like it was a matter of national security and then the next year they just sold it to, to some european country it's like dude this is like racist and they like they pointed out it's like this is like bullshit like what the fuck so like uh there's that backdrop uh and like uh also like there's a, a senator or a congressman that's involved and like he he gets caught tangled up in like the whole uh murder drama but like he he's flipping his votes, so like he's like the linchpin on whether this whole deal is able to go down in the first place. Yeah. Um, well, so he's, like it's he's just the like, one that they uh, deep fake onto the actual murderer. Yeah. So like uh, there's a lot of um, just like that's escalating the stakes, essentially. Mm -hmm. So uh, like yeah, sure they also have to solve this murder, but also they have to take extra care not to. Uh, ruffle too many feathers or expose too much to the public because like there's also that um for the japanese sensibility but also like they have to take care because like um if they screw up like it's just gonna not be good for a whole lot mm -hmm. more reasons like it also is interesting they have several fall guys to try and cover up the murder there's a couple of red herrings like uh with kari hiroyuki tanaka who is eddie who's the guy yeah. singing karaoke in the beginning. He's sort of a cool guy that um, you would is seeing the victim in real life, um, but also 
ends up sort of taking the fall for her death just so that they can try to throw the cops off. Yeah. Uh, He's also kind of like a playboy uh, rich kid that hangs right. out with the Yakuza, kind of just like does shady stuff, but like he's still still a little bit of a daddy's boy. Yeah. Uh, There's sort a kamikaze of. car chase scene that has the most combustible car I've ever seen in my life outside of a Pinto. Also, I kind of like that they do it off screen so they don't have to film a big car explosion. It's in the glasses. It's in the the screen. I think that's kind of clever because then you don't have to spend all your budget on a massive explosion. It's kind of like, oh, that oh, we didn't we didn't get him. He just died. He just blew up. That's kind of it's kind of innovative in my opinion. Okay. It's different. So um also disappointing because I thought he was the best character but right um it usually is the most tanaka. yeah tanaka is a good actor he's the you yeah, know like he's especially the best part like, of uh, um, combat yeah. yeah especially like if your exposure is like mortal combat or recently uh um oh my god that show he's, we just talked he's about, the talked best about. part of the man in the high castle yeah there's also that mm -hmm. uh like if your concept of him is like that stoic stern or like gruff mean asian guy like yeah. here, he's like the complete opposite. He's jokey, kid. Hey. Like kind of like he he has like he has a temper. Like he's a young guy yeah. and acting kind of just like a just like with that kind of bravado of a young rich kid that again hangs out with the yakuza and just does like just does whatever. Yeah, I liked him the most. I think as yeah. as usual. Yeah, he was very colorful in this. Yeah. So I was kind and of like, disappointed. That second half, I'm like, bring Eddie back. And it's <laughs> and funny because like he, he's the, he's the one with the most expressive face out of the whole yeah. cast too. Yeah, it's true. Agreed. Jimmy and I are obviously fans. Oh yeah, so. no, he's great. I love him. <laughs> no, he's good. For listening. I don't know if I've seen uh, stuff. Oh yeah, and Johnny Tsunami. He was the uh, grandpa. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. You ever watched Johnny Tsunami, Jeff? No. Okay. I cannot say that I have. Oh, so good. Um, a surfer becomes a skateboarder? What? He's in the Phantom. You love the Phantom, Corey. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're just like, sure. No, I do love the Phantom. Is he the villain? I've never seen it. No, True Williams is the villain. Oh. And James Remar. Maybe we'll get to it. Oh, is that a spoiler? Maybe we'll talk about it. No, it's not a spoiler. Okay. Yeah, I kind of want to do that one when we get to 96. I've never seen it. It's fun. Yeah. 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 Also, um, thinking, framing Japanese tropes into this. Of course, someone pulls out a katana during a fight scene. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like how whenever you have um, Sean Connery in a movie, you always have to have a scene where he intimidates people despite his frail age. <laughs> like, he goes like to the into front his door and he totally takes down this henchman who's like twice his size. Mm -hmm. like, really. It's getting a little implausible now. Like, he, was... he, he, he clears a whole apartment of intruders, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was also, screen, but like... I will say that was a very good red herring, too, because like the, the woman in the beginning died of a strangulation. And then at that point, you're like, hmm, that police officer is really good at knocking the wind out of people. Mm. Wonder. Mm-hmm. Overall, it was a very good like murder mystery so okay that was literally what yeah. i was about to ask how did yeah. you feel about the actual mystery the hair yeah. the red herrings and everything the pace of the pace of escalation and uh 
how dire things are getting is like nice. I think it's good. See, I like that part. I knew it was preposterous, yeah. but I still liked the exploration despite yeah. itself. Yeah. Yeah, I so think like, that I think that goes towards uh, Wesley and Sean's chemistry more than anything else. Yeah. You wanted to see them figure it out, yeah, whether the, it was realistic or not. Yeah, the movie stayed interesting. So like, yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Kind of check your brain at the door about like any logistical loopholes that this uh, murder has. One character arc that I I like that they they broached it, but they didn't explore it to the extent that I would have liked is that um <clears throat> Wesley Snipes' character took a bribe. Mm, mm-hmm. And uh, they pepper that in rather than making it in, the point not, of his character. It's not quite resolved. Like, it's kind of brushed away. I kind yeah. of actually maybe explored that a little more. Like in the third act, maybe there would have been consequences. Yeah. yeah. So there were, then, I feel like there were consequences because, like, that's why, because this stuff is, it was taken care of and now it's coming back to light. And now right. his wife is finding out. And that's why she wants to take the kid. Right. That's so why that was, using yeah. It as a reason. And he, he's the chosen to handle this because yeah. then if he if he breaks good, they can use that as blackmail. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know what's another good thing? Uh, interesting and fun part of the, about this movie? Uh, I didn't realize the first half of the movie was actually a flashback until the third of the way in where Are it was like on? all of a sudden interrupted and like he's going to like a uh, interview with like the uh, police chief and like everybody and it's like, wait, what's going oh, on? Oh, that stuff? That, yeah, That's a yeah. pet peeve. I hate that. Oh I yeah, I mean, thing. I was I was okay with it. I like, didn't it was need fine. it. And then like like once when, once when it got caught up to that like uh, that interview, then that's like a good way to know like okay, this is the like the this is the, we're getting to the climax. I'm not then, saying like, I'm smarter than you. I just say I'm just saying I knew that that's what they were doing from the beginning. Yeah. It's just like I hate when they do flashbacks. Yeah, no, no, like exactly. That. But like because then I, you I know exactly then. where it's headed. Yeah, yeah. But, but that leads into back into my pacing. Like once when I put put that together, when I realized, oh yeah, the first half is gonna be a flashback. So like I expect, like mm-hmm. I knew what to kind of get ready for eventually. Did you? Yeah, so, I did, so I didn't. So I didn't have to think about it. There you go. There's there's a, a punch for doing that in films. I I don't yeah. love it when it happens, but I don't really hate it. I sort of forgot it was part of the film because that's they kind of just intersperse it wherever they want. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really because like the thing is like with when you have that in like a, a mystery like once when you get to the uh, like the middle where the time ca- catches up that's where you should have all all the clues and like uh, evidence where like you have something to like piece together yourself but like it's not quite there because the rest of the movie well, still needs to go on and they need to catch the bad guy. I think the best example of that is Usual Suspects yeah. because of the whole thing of it. Obviously, we won't spoil it in case Jeff hasn't seen it, but you learn things as you go along and it's just the framework rather than the like in this they're peppering that in and it could be they get to a certain point like the kamikaze death and they're like well you didn't expect this to happen and then you find out oh maybe that guy's still alive and he's in the room or something like it might have some effect on the actual plot but you could excise that stuff with the guy interviewing him and it would never change you know right i just do it in order so sometimes that doesn't really work, but I can see why it'd probably work in a novel as like, yeah, the beginning of a chapter. But then you see the... what you say, Jimmy. But mm. what were you about to say, Jeff? Nothing. I just got my mind blown because I didn't know Philip Kaufman was involved in the writing of the Indiana Jones movies. Yes, I was going to bring that out. Yeah, but he, he got organically... his story by. 
Yeah. Yeah, he helped huh. write it. Actually, they wanted him to direct the first one, but um, they didn't think he had mm-hmm. enough um, directorial efforts under his belt in order to do it. So, got I'm trying to think what he had at that point. When he had the Great Northfield Minnesota Raid. He'd redone Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but the other films I'd never heard of that he'd done before that. Then he does the right stuff, and that's after Raiders. So, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is great. Yeah, I like that one. Um, he does great fine, stuff uh, is hot take, kind of boring. I don't love it, but I can see why people like it, and that's his biggest film for sure. Um, I just saw Henry in June and didn't love it, so I wonder if he just. Has is kind of dull. So uh, yeah, because I watched uh, maybe it's better than he did Lightness of Being, and that's kind of boring. Oh, I'm worried about Quills. Oh well, Quills is really good. Yeah. What's that really? What's that Ashley Judd movie he did? Twisted. Awful. Twisted. I feel like this this movie and that movie are probably like Gun for Hire. Mm-hmm. Jobs. Yeah, so this actually like, might be my favorite thing he's done though. So, I mean, like we said, right stuff is a little boring. So, we fell asleep watching that. I think it just goes on too long. It starts off great. Yeah. Real interested in Sam Shepard's Chuck Yeager. Would have just watched a movie about him. Right. But then we had to watch the Apollo program. The training sequences go on forever. That's really what kills it. Like they're going into all the minutia. So as if they're never gonna make another astronaut film. Would probably mm-hmm. would have been better as a miniseries nowadays. It definitely would have been. And uh, he ends up doing Hemingway and Gellhorn, which I hear was good. So I I probably would like that. The Clive Owen uh playing yes. Hemingway movie. Yeah. Um so I, I feel like maybe if he'd been a little younger, he could have made the right stuff in the nineties or or even today. Yeah. Right. I actually they remade it. In fact, for Disney, so the right stuff. I believe so. Didn't they remake it with a, a couple of the guys from like Everybody Wants Some? Pretty sure. I don't Pretty sure. Anyway, this is it. Yeah, TV series, American drama, limited run series from 2020. That was probably pretty good then. <laughs> um, probably not. Jake McDorman was in it as Alan Shepard. He was on that show Limitless, like the adaptation of Limitless. I like him. It's all these guys you've seen in shows that, like, you wouldn't know their name, but mm. doesn't mean they're bad. Yeah, they're they're all decent actors. One of the guys from Mad Men that I like was one of, one of the astronauts. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, see, I I like Philip Carpenter's direction for this, but you'd be right that he was just a gun for hire. I you can't help that sometimes. No, yeah. even even if you're a gun for hire, you could still shoot well. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. I liked the film. I I actually do think after talking about how his pacing isn't always on, this might go on a few minutes too long. Maybe you could tighten it up a, a little bit in the middle, just because of all the red herrings. Maybe because of that flashback stuff. Right. Um, but that also harkens back to Crichton's writing. Like this isn't. Probably even in his top ten novels, right? I wouldn't think so, no. Yeah, um, but it was. I think you were even surprised when he did the research that even though that he wrote this, 
I forgot. Like I, I must have known back when I was younger, like, oh, another one came out around Jurassic Park, but just forgotten. I, I went to my shelf and I don't own it even. Right. So because I have a couple books I never got around to. Well, it's perfect for us because it's um as Jeff would say, two good guys in a bad situation. You guys in a bed. That's our formula for the show. Yeah. They were almost framed. The formula into, for like uh, every movie ever, apparently. <laughs> the formula for life. Yeah. Two uh, moderately okay guys in a pretty weird fucking situation. One clairvoyant Scotsman. How did we feel about uh, Tia Carrere ending up as the woman behind the curtain in his... I didn't understand uh, that she had a pre-existing relationship with Sean Connery and that he yeah. was... Right? Isn't that yeah. the yeah, hint that of was, that? I, I guess that it's like a it's a clever yeah. way to show aspect of Japanese culture and cinema and that like the women must be the woman must be subdued and submissive and That's in the true. background and just kind of kind of there. He was, he was really yeah. into the Japanese culture, even yeah. every little and detail. Mix that with the American like a uh, noir detective genre where like uh, women just are, you know, murdered. Secretaries yeah. are victims. Yeah, yeah. like uh, um, the, the the sexy vixen must die. Right. Yeah. Well, they try to make her look Although, intellectual by giving her glass. Well, it was it was really well. That's another thing with the we're talking about the 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 reflection with the explosion, the reflection oh, yeah. in her glasses when she's rewatching the tape of the woman being raped and murdered. Like mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that was intense. Uh, yeah. and that's like. You know, that was one of the better shots, I think. That's why I think Kaufman has a good eye. Yeah. You know, he knows how to film stuff, even if he's his right. heart isn't entirely in it. I think I think it was for this. But it was just I don't know. When when she gets in I, I have a tendency to when you're watching a crime show and then the tech person comes in, starts explaining jargon and just yells enhance, enhance all the time. I start, yeah. start to tune out, but Mm-hmm. Kept mm-hmm. Yeah. Weird because around this time she had done the Wayne's World movie, so it seems like she's yeah, almost, they it, this. It, this movie almost feels like it's an introducing to your career. Like, mm-hmm. It's trying to. You know what I mean? Here's another side of her at least. I guess. Yeah, this obviously didn't help her career. Yeah. It's a shame. You know, she was almost on Baywatch. Interesting. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah, that would have been cool. She might have been like one of my favorite actresses if that was the case. Hmm. I was big into Baywatch after uh, around this time. Were you big into Baywatch nights? Listen, it <laughs> might have been on in my house. I'm not going to call my father out, but <laughs> it was on a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your dad's a beachcomber, so that's why. He really liked David Hasselhoff singing. That's really what it was. So he just wanted to support. One of his favorites. He likes anything where a character's named BJ. Yeah. Um, yeah. BJ was BJ was the best. Very cool. That's why he's a big fan of BJ and the Bear. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I would grade this uh probably A minus. I actually really like this. Right. Yeah. I'm giving it a solid A. Just yeah. Yeah. What a little dicey. Well, I mean, it's a little bit dicey in some parts, and like other things I could just overlook. It's like, okay, all right, I just give you an A. 
I might be biased for the fact that I'm getting to become a fan of Wesley Snipes, and I've always liked Sean Connery, but um, I'd probably give it a C. Mm-hmm. I thought it was ludicrous and disjointed, and that mm-hmm. framing device didn't help things. Yeah. It was really unnecessary. I felt like <clears throat> I would almost rather they just did a straight formulaic buddy cop movie with the two of them instead of all this Japanese espionage and intrigue because it doesn't uh, it doesn't it's at odds with the movie at times. It's, it's it feels like the movie's trying to do way too much, mm-hmm. way too much with this scant runtime that they have. Yeah, I wonder because if it's just a generic buddy cop movie, does it uh, well? Hit well? Uh, I mean, for me, this kind of that whole like uh, that the whole like political like thing, blah blah blah, happened in the back. That kind of just leans in for my my perspective of like just Japanese things, especially like it kind of similar in regards to Gundam, because <laughs> that happens a lot in Gundam, and it gets on Gundam. my nerves. But like sometimes you just don't. like thing outside of Gundam. It's like all right, okay, it's not that bad. Just don't like that, that, the nonsensical the extra political. Uh, mumbo jumbo it's like all right yeah it kind of gives it a little weight in the real world so yeah even if it's, it's kind of but like it gives it a little like extra weight there's nothing realistic or fluff movie. <laughs> especially sean connery's wig yeah. oh that was a wig yes yeah i forgot he's pretty much bald by now he also wasn't wearing pants when they were driving oh right that's this movie that's this movie. oh yes here's a, here's a tip um Sean Connery showed uh, Wesley Snipes. He's like, "Look, son, if they're only filming you from the waist up, you don't have to wear pants." So I, I guess it, during the uh, driving scenes where he's in the passenger seat, he's not wearing pants, but he's got <laughs> underwear on, right? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? I mean, or at least he's a Scotsman. He should be wearing a kilt. It's free and easy, Jimmy. Yeah. I like the breeze between my legs. <laughs> it's a little uh, Jimmy Stewart right there. Yeah, a little bit. Scottish Jimmy Stewart. Um so what Jeff uh Yeah, what did you what would you grade it? Uh B. Right in the middle. It was split split the difference here. It was it was great. It was it was well crafted, a little yeah. cringe at Ooh. points, but <laughs> um Yeah. Harvey it, it, and then the the sound sound design gave me issues because I'm just like, I know he's supposed to be soft spoken, but no, we kept having uh, to turn was, it up. But yeah, there was no the mix between their two vocals was was really was pissing me off. Yeah. Who did the uh, mix? Christopher Nolan. Right. No, that would have just well. Been like, well uh, I forgot another reason why I want to give this movie just a solid A is because we get to see uh, Mako perform. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mako. Yeah. Yeah, or Mako Mako. I don't know. I've heard both, and I can't pick, like, I can't seem to settle on whichever, but, like, I know in uh, treasure, uh, The Legend of Korra, Avatar, I'm pretty sure they say Mako, right? I think and so. That, so I'm going based on that. Uh, he's in TMNT, right? Three? He's in, uh, he's, in, he's in the first animated one, the one that came yeah. out in 2007. Mm. And also, like, the voice of Aku for, like, Samurai Jack. Uh, so like get, uh, getting to see him like in uh, other roles other than like a, uh... it's Mako actually. Oh Mako, okay, it's Mako. Yeah. All right. Like, like oh, yeah, like the shark Mako. God, no, I forgot. Okay, whatever. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, get getting to see him perform like do go from that like you know that stern Japanese businessman that could be like shrewd, like, 
like he he's at the uh, business table going from that like solid uh performance and then like when he's like at, at the uh, uh like uh the bar <laughs> scene later or the japanese uh bar scene uh because they're drinking sake uh he he does the, like the typical like uh um at the end of the business day like uh well it's just like that that sign then you get, then you see him relax and talking more candidly which is like a good like balance to his like a uh, solid uh, demeanor from before speaking of being murdered i know there was a, a film that we almost chose as the uh hidden gem of the month do you want to do you want to talk about that and some other films that sure. Came out? sure. I, I know i segued for you but Oh, that's okay. I was going to do a different segment because I want to talk about different ones. But we can get oh. um, you want to do it? No, nah, we'll, do, we'll <laughs> do the one you brought up first. Okay. Um, actually, this is my favorite uh, Mike Myers comedy. It's called So I Married an Axe Murderer. And uh, I believe you actually watched this because we were choosing between these two. Yeah, I watched and, it because uh, I was like, oh, I wanted to see this and completely forgot that we were trying to choose between the two. <laughs> This was, um, I think this was the first time Mike Myers did the multiple character thing. And he only plays yeah. two different characters in this. Um, but they're both still, funny. Still kind of obnoxious. Yeah, I totally disagree with you. I think him, him and his father, him as his father was kind of the worst part of the movie. Oh, yeah, what? I, thought he, the... I thought he was the best part of the movie. I thought he was the worst. Did move now. I mean. You know, all that stuff was funny. It could have been a, a different actor. Or he could play the father if he really wants to. See, I, maybe it's a good thing we didn't pick this because we hugely disagree on it. But um, yeah. you know, I really like the movie, especially towards the end, because as a comedy, Amanda Plummer actually does a really good performance. Mm -hmm. I don't like giving anything. Away. Well, we're giving it away, whatever. Yeah. Um, okay. Sorry, Jeff. Find out she's the murder Amanda Plummer, yeah. and she's actually kind of chilling. As the uh -huh. she's actually kind of scary. I actually kind of guessed that because I was like, okay, if Nancy Travis isn't actually an axe murderer, who would be? Oh, well, her sister's been with her the whole time. It makes logical sense. It makes sense, yeah. So I thought about it and figured it out just like, what would I do if I wrote this? Also, the someone with her all the time. Has some great cameos. Everybody who has a cameo in the movie scores. Yeah. Uh, Charles Grodin. Charles Grodin's hilarious? No. I'm not gonna give you my car. Um, speaking of the late great Alan Arkin, uh, hilarious boy, yeah. in the movie. Yeah, Alan Arkin's in this film. I killed him, guys. Mm. He's supposed to, in the movie. He plays Anthony Lapaglia's um captain. Yeah, Anthony to... Lapaglia is a, a good friend of Mike Myers, and he's a cop. Yeah, and he's um him and his captain are role playing as the uh, <laughs> Alan Arkin's supposed to be the irate captain, but he's actually the nicest guy in the precinct. So it's funny to see him play both sides of it. Yeah, LaPaglia is like, you you can't just let me get away with everything. I want you to come in and be like, I'm gonna take your badge. You gotta you gotta really lean into it. Well, you know, we don't really take people's badges anymore. <laughs> yeah. um, we actually go to counseling. Yeah. So is there anything you want to talk about? See, you you're too nice. You're too nice. <laughs> and then he comes in later and he yells at him. He's like, How 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 was that? Did that was that pretty that, good? Felt like that worked for you? Yeah, it's good. Alan Arkin is um, the, the best part of the film, actually. Uh, Phil Hartman's in it. has a really funny part. He's a tour guide at Alcatraz. Michael Richards <laughs> is really funny. Oh, yeah. All the cameos are great. Uh, yeah. Stephen Wright has a cameo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a little weird, but it's in the wheelhouse of Stephen Wright, so. Yeah. They so just kind of stopped the film to give him some stand-up. 
thinking you didn't like this movie as much as I did. Oh, I like the whole thing. I just think, I don't know. I The way you're saying it, like, it couldn't be done by anyone but Mike Myers. because No, I didn't say funny. it couldn't be done by anybody but him. But He is funny as that character, but it just made me, with the foresight that he's going to overdo it, with the Austin Power movie. I, I no, he definitely does overdo with the Austin Powers and I haven't seen the Pentaverate. I heard that's atrocious. Right. And none of those characters are funny. Right. Um I think maybe he got delusions of grandeur like he's Eddie Murphy. Right. Because Eddie it, Murphy kind of perfected this. Seeing him do that in Coming to America too is kind of like, oh, this is what you end up doing with Nutty Professor too. Like you go overboard by the time that comes out, but Maybe if you do one character and it also it with yourself, that might work. It also becomes a way for the production to save money too. They only have to pay one actor. Not really though, because then they gotta they gotta split up the days because he's got to film. He's got to get up and uh, make up and then film yeah. different sections. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds so like, it just makes like it more easy. of a headache. It could be a yeah, way to actually, also increase their value as an actor. Logistically, like, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. But yeah, I, th- I think it's his funniest movie. Um, I, th- I really like Austin Powers and Wayne's World too, but I think this is the best of the three. Yeah. Mm. Still like Austin Powers better, but that's because it's part of my childhood. So. Uh, speaking of comedians who didn't, have a lot, who didn't have a lot of longevity, um, Holy Shore was oh. in law Um. So I guess this is probably the least obnoxious he's been in any movie. Um, he's slightly endearing in the movie. Plus, he's engaged to uh, Carlo Giugino. Who... It's it's an okay starring vehicle. Like I said, he's less abrasive than he usually is. Huh. So as his movies go along, he starts to dominate them a little more with the weasel character. And it mm. gets really grating. Yeah. So at least there's a little bit of pathos in this one where it... Uh, it dampens his uh, his natural irritation a little bit. So this could have been a hidden gem as well. It's not that good, but <clears throat> um, speaking of comedies that uh, haven't aged well, Robin Hood Men in Tights. Oh, it's um, a good movie. The nineties were kind of rough for Mel Brooks. He uh, he didn't produce anything funny in the nineties. Whoa, 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 whoa! Well, Doug, Hold give me up. an example of what he what he uh, directed that was funny. Robin Hood Men in Tights. No. There's a, there's sporadically funny things in the movie. I think Richard Lewis is funny as as the king. Um, or is Sher- He's that it. Sheriff. Yeah, I guess you're right. I liked Dracula Dead and loving it, but I was a stupid child. The problem is they um. He didn't get a straight actor to do the lead role. Mm. You need to get somebody who uh, doesn't play the comedy too much. Carrie always had already done uh, Princess Bride, so and Hot Shots. Yeah, and Hot Shots. So kind of hamming it up, kind of expecting him to be funny. Yeah. The secret to like the the Zucker Brothers movies and like the Mo Brooks movies is you get somebody who's like almost known for doing dramas and haven't played straight. Because yeah. an airplane. Leslie Nielsen was basically known for drama. And, and even uh, the lead, Robert... Whatever Robert Stack. Yeah, Robert Stack was known for some other dramas, too. Right. So if you just get people who are 
kind of letting you know that they're in on the joke. Not as good. Yeah. SNL expanded a um a skit <clears throat> that was done in the seventies, and for some reason they revived it in the nineties. Does anybody remember the Coneheads movie? Hmm. Which also yeah. had a cameo from Michael Richards. I almost watched that as well. To, to I actually I've never seen it. Hot take: I think it's fun. Yeah, I think it works. Um, they make it into an immigrant story, weirdly enough, and it's actually kind of kind of sweet mm-hmm. and funny at the same time. I feel like this would be up your alley, Jeff. You like you like Coneheads and Dan Aykroyd. I do I do like Coneheads? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Say. Okay. Um, I was. I don't think I've seen the full movie in a while, but. I remember yeah. liking it as a kid or something. So yeah. I've only seen it twice as a kid and bits and pieces throughout the years. There's some really awesome Phil Tippett uh, stop motion. At oh, the yeah. No. He battles a, a, a giant uh, Leviathan mm-hmm. in this gladiatorial pit, which looks really cool, actually. It's almost like something out of uh, Empire Strikes Back, which I think you would like. That. You would like that part at least. Probably. I always figured I'd like it. I just never really got around to it. It seems like weird timing that they would capitalize on it by then. Because mm. Blues Brothers was in the early 80s. And I guess I guess after Wayne's World was a hit, they're just like, okay, what other, what other characters can we expand on? Mm. Turn into movies. Steve Barron, who did TMNT. There you go. Yeah. Former episode of ours. Yeah, so I I actually think fairly good movie. Okay. Um. Uh, another movie that needlessly got a sequel, but I tend to I actually am an apologist for it. Um, another stakeout. Does anybody oh. remember that there was a original stakeout movie? The problem yeah. is the gap between the two was like six years. About yeah. So everybody's like, another stakeout? What was the first one? Yeah. I think it was too long of a gap. Yeah. Um, It's funny because just from the premise, I should hate it because they take the great chemistry between Richard Dreyfuss and Emilio Estevez from the first movie and they add Rosie O'Donnell, who I'm not usually a big fan of, but actually she ricochets off the two of them very well. They all have really good chemistry. Matter of fact, there's a great scene in the middle. There's a whole sequence in the middle where they're um, trying to distract Dennis Farina, who's um, in cahoots with the suspect that they're staking out. It's hilarious. It has no right being this good as a sequel to a movie that people forgot. Honestly, I sort of wanted to plug this in as our uh, choice. But the other two were bi- bigger films in my mind for us to cover as hidden right. events. And also, um, and we're covering Emilio Estevez of, in September anyway. You would probably need like a primer on the first. You you would definitely need a primer on the first movie because I don't think you could go in this this one cold because you'd be like, I'm not quite sure what the relationship between Richard Dreyfuss and Madeline Stowe is. So. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, but otherwise, I think it's actually surprisingly good. Yeah, I've wanted uh, to see it too. It's a good month. Yeah. So a movie that just got a sequel last year, um, that's a cult classic now, was released, uh, Hocus Pocus. 
Oh, oh yeah. A staple for a lot of people's so, houses. So, so I, would you say cult classics upon? Yeah, like, oh, uh, you know what's funny? I just saw it for the first time for the podcast. I really? didn't see the sequel. He watched the sequel last year and then watched the the first one now. Interesting. Like a week ago. Yeah. yeah I, did, I did it retroactively. So how yeah. do you feel knowing everything? Um, it's it weird because I almost didn't even in... need to watch the first one to understand everything that was going on in the second one. Okay. Yeah. Um, it makes sense. But uh, having said that, this wasn't bad. Um, it's actually kind of risque for a, a Disney movie. Yeah. A lot of stuff. I mean, yeah. Especially I mean, it's with Jessica Parker. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. There was a lot of uh, and there, I don't know how how old was Vanessa Shaw when they were making this because it's kind of um, disconcerting that they're fixated on her yabos and some other things. They like objectifying her big time in this movie. Yeah. You know, one it's thing it. I liked in the movie that I didn't expect going into it is uh, normally I would I would expect that the premise would be that this kid comes from California and that the people of Salem are ashamed of their heritage, but they're all like celebrating it. They're like, yeah, the Sanders sisters were here and we we love it. We love the folklore around Salem. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's refreshing. And I like the lead kid. Um, oh, yeah. The late great Charles Rocket plays the father in this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking yeah. of yeah. Um, so, yeah, actually, um, having not seen this, the weakest part of both the movies, I think, is the fish out of water stuff. Oh, okay. Sure. I thought and that also, was cute as a kid, but it's you know what's great in once I've seen it once? There is an odd. Uh, cameo halfway through with Gary Marshall and Penny Marshall playing <sighs> husband and wife. Yeah. No, they're brother and sister. So it kind of made it kind of queasy for me. Yeah. Like, did they really want to do that? And they weren't especially funny either. So I was like, what? Do kids even know who they are? I know. <laughs> like, who is this joke for the parents? Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, another kid's movie that's treasured of our. Amongst our generation, Free Willy came out. Oh, oh yeah. this is the one I was waiting for. Yeah, the, with, with the Michael Jackson music video. Oh, oh wait, what? Yeah, Free Willy. There was a Michael yeah. Jackson music video. For I, know, I swear, I, God, I don't with remember it. that. Yeah, oh, yeah. what? What? Like, yeah. He's like dancing on the rocks as Willy jumps. Oh over yeah, him. yeah. I thought he was riding Willy. <laughs> no. no, 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 no. Like <laughs> yeah, that. that's my impression. <laughs> anyway, uh, film. Love the film. Saw it a couple it? of times in theaters. Yeah, yeah. This is one of my favorite movies in '93. I mean, I was six, and it's a perfect film for kids. I mean, it's also ironic that, like, you know, looking back, like, uh, uh, how like is the whole point is like free Willy from like you know captivity and make him like mm-hmm. free uh, back in the wild, and then like uh, Sea World just abuses their whales and dolphins. I know. I remember really like, wanting to go to Sea World. We went in '93, actually, my parents and I. That's yeah. this is the year that we did it. Uh, down to Disney World and Universal and SeaWorld. And I was so excited to see it. And then we kept talking like, this isn't the best. And I have to say, Free Willy probably made a environmentalist of a lot of people our age. Because yeah. we're like, this shouldn't exist for yeah. animals. Like, And it's funny because like the the whale that plays w- Willy, I don't remember Sh- what Shamu. Like, Shamu, yeah, yeah. It, basically Shamu, like because, uh, because of that, like it brought brought a lot of money for like this like aquarium and SeaWorld 
and like all the like industry so like just like kind of helped the abuse a little bit yeah it helped exactly both sides. Just ironic in the yeah. it's good and bad i'd say it helped both sides because it's an amusement you know it served as an amusement and it served as and yeah laid right. the foundations of the modern uh activist there's yeah. that there's that really cheesy sentimental shot that everybody remembers of willie jumping over the kid yeah of course yeah yeah, that's, that's like, like an iconic. Poster. Yeah, that's like an iconic scene for the movie. Mm -hmm. Although I always, kinda... got, I always got Free Willy confused with the uh... Flipper. No, what's the one with the seal and the the Roxy with... and the Andre and the girl from Napoleon Dynamite? <laughs> Andre. That's Andre. The... Yeah, I thought he was gonna say Zooks and Roxanne or whatever. No. That's uh, uh, that actually set a whole genre in the '90s for like kids going on adventures to save or help an animal, whether it's like you know a legitimate oh, yeah. real animal or like a fictional uh, creature, like a bigfoot, like Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. But, set yeah. them free. Oh, it well, that happened in the Lost World, definitely for sure, with the baby T Rex. So, like, yeah. Shamu was something different. That was Shamu died in '71, so that could not have been. Yeah, that was. Shamu was part of SeaWorld, and then they named every orca after that. It was part of the Shamu shows. <clears throat> so, oh. Akiko was the uh, name of the orca in Free Willy, and so that's sort of what stops eventually the Shamu shows. Right. So, anyway. And then there was Blackwater. Right. Oh, boy. Have you ever seen um, that documentary that came out in 2013? I've not. It's really good. Fisher Stevens watched, is now an Oscar winner because of it. I watched that at your house, Corey. You weren't awake yet. I put oh. that in. Yeah, I put that on your Netflix. Yeah, so I like Blackfish. Uh, so you're good. <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah, of course. Um, so another movie that captured the youth 30 years ago, Rookie of the Year. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh Thomas and Nicholas is a kid who injures his elbow and then goes into the uh, major leagues. It's a good month it's, for kids' movies. Yeah, it's actually it's directed by Daniel Stern. Oh, he directed this. Oh yeah. Speaking of John he, Candy, John Candy in. has a memorable part as the color commentator. Yeah. Well, Daniel Stern plays his agent too, right? Oh, does he have a cameo? I, I, He's I, like a major part of the film. Do you remember the film? I remember the kid and Gary Busey. That's why I mostly remember. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he's he's and his John agent. Candy. Okay. But um, I remember huh. liking it back then. I don't know how it hold up now. He ever direct anything else? I think that was the only thing. Huh. He did a good job. No, yeah. As a as a kids movie, it's. It's well paced. He did. He did a good. He's good with like screwball slapstick and stuff. Probably because of his yeah. his time hmm. on the Home Alone movies. Hmm. It feels like a Chris Columbus movie. Yeah. So he probably got some notes from him. Yeah. I liked it a lot. That was one of my favorites of the year. I mean, Free Willy is probably my favorite of those kids' movies, but yeah. So I noticed a lot of a lot of kids' movies this month. July. That's what I was saying. It's, a kid, it's summer. Kids are off. So great, great kids month. Um, one for a little bit older people, 
in the audience, uh, Poeg Justice came out, which is John Singleton's follow-up to uh, Boys in the Hood. Right. Which is probably why I got lukewarm reviews at the time, because I thought maybe people thought it was going to be as unflinching as that. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's more of a love story. Yeah. And actually, uh, it's with uh, Janet Jackson and Tupac, and they actually are both really good together. Mm-hmm. Actually, show that they have acting chops outside of music. Yeah. So, um, I actually really like the movie. So again, I knew it was going to be a, a more lighthearted fare than Boys in the Hood, so I didn't go in expecting that. Sure. So it's more of a rom com. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it showed that they they had what could have been a future outside of the music industry. Right. And Tupac for sure. Because he yeah. went on to do, uh, we'll probably be talking about him in the intervening years. He had um, a bunch of really good performances come out, like Gridlocked and uh, um, Gang Related and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of my favorite movies of the year, The Firm, came out. Ah, yeah. This is the one of the bigger movies of the year, and it comes on the heels of Jurassic Park. Yeah, actually... Probably my favorite Sidney Pollack directed movie, other than Jeremiah Johnson. But uh, actually, it's weird. We always talk about length with movies nowadays. Everything's over two hours. Mm-hmm. This movie's two and a half hours, but I feel like it's justified, and it's engrossing the whole two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And it's based on a um, a John Grisham book, and actually, it has one of the more involving and interesting plots of a John Grisham. Um, adaptation I thought mm-hmm. and it's got really juicy roles for like Gene Hackman it's a I think it's a fantastic movie it's it's as good as uh, spellbinding a page turner as probably the book is Um, and then the last movie before he went behind the camera for about two decades uh, Clint Eastwood was in In the Line of Fire. Almost two decades, yeah. I guess Million Dollar Baby is his follow-up? Uh, that wasn't directed by him is what I meant to say. <clears throat> so the next time he was in a movie that wasn't directed by him was uh, oh, Trouble, I with, see. Trouble with the Curve. I get you. Um, in the Line of Fire, which actually holds up really well. I just rewatched it. John Malkovich is great as the, uh, the would-be assassin in the movie. Mm-hmm. And um, the only thing that's kind of creepy about the movie is I wish that the relationship between uh, Clint Eastwood and Rene Russo was more of mentor-protege instead of romantic. Mm. And it, actually, it's kind of weird to see uh, Clint kind of lay on the Playboy charm. Because he's getting too uh, long in the tooth? <laughs> yeah, because uh, for the most part of the movie, the, the, especially towards the beginning, he's getting winded running. They're like, maybe you should just take a desk detail because you're old. There's actually, well, you don't want to put him in the yeah. line of fire. But um, Wolfgang Peterson was really good at doing some of these uh, these political thrillers between this and then he did Air Force One later uh, on. A perfect film. Actually, it was a really good diehard knockoff. Oh, it's um, one of my favorites. Yeah, it's really good. But uh, actually, it it almost it's unsettling how um how gracious in the details 
of what would cause somebody to want to assassinate the president. It actually gives uh, John Malkovich a really good backstory. Mm. And they're, they, they're almost like Die Hard. They have an interplay between the two because they're constantly talking to each other on the phone as mm-hmm. he's taunting him and haranguing him about what his plans are. I think this started John Malkovich's uh, typecasting as villains. Mm-hmm. What was he doing before this? He did Of Mice and Men, right? Yeah, and he was playing like almost Iago-type characters who was like the the weasel behind the scenes, like dangerous liaisons and stuff like that. Like the gotcha. But then after yeah, yeah. that, he was like front and center as the main antagonist. And yeah, then I would sense. continue on into stuff like Con Air. Mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah, it it's still a great movie. Still holds up. Which brings us to Jeff's Time to Shine. Don't know if this one We'll see if this movie holds up. Quite as right. well. See if this movie stays fresh after it's exhumed. There you go. Okay. Oh man, this looks the face makes this look so traumatizing. The look yeah, you know, looks, Do you know what this is off the bat? Because this might like I said with uh last month's last action hero, you might start getting to know these just based on the poster. It, it's just I something don't. you might have been aware of. I don't. But Okay. So why don't you describe right. it a little? Okay. So this is uh we're in some sort of tropical paradise. But the camera is shooting. There's a, a guy that's uh, mostly submerged under the water, but still chilling in a beach chair um, with a parrot on his head mm-hmm. right in front of a, a desert island. Um, and he's holding presumably some sort of cocktail in his in one hand. And got a drink at the beach. Yeah, and he's yeah. falling asleep, maybe or dead. Uh, at this point, because his head's a little lopsided, mm-hmm. so a little under the water. This feels like a like a weekend at Bernie's type film. Is is it weekend at Bernie's? Judging by your face, uh, is it, uh, better off Ted. No, this is a uh, we're on it. You were you were very a, close, sir. A guy, so it's like can't a just, protagonist. No, we can't just give it to you. But no. what happened with weekend at Bernie's? I don't think I don't know. Is it it's, it's lost in paradise? I don't know. Um it did very well, you know. Did it really? No, the first weekend of Bernie's. What happens when movies do well? This this weekend of Bernie's two? Yes. There's no way to like give that to you in a hint. No, that's what, I think I'm like, like you I didn't got know it. <laughs> you essentially know got it. I didn't know there yeah. was a sequel, but yeah. it's not that crazy when you have a guy with his head. Oh, Everyone's like, is this a weekend of Bernie's thing? So yeah, he clearly I'll just go dead. through, but what would you do? We can we can play with this. Um, what would you do as the tagline, I guess? Try to come I up with a good tagline. Try to come up just with a Just when you thought line. it was safe to go back on vacation. <laughs> oh, that's better. I like that. Um back for round two. Yeah, that's a typical one. The I'll resurrection. Show you what... oh, Embalming funny. soon. In Imagine if year. Imagine if he comes back to life in the sequel. That would be better. So, do you know the plot? He's still dead. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I love it. 
What? So, like, how are, is it the same dead body? I know you have a lot of questions. Right. How plot, long right? did this take? Like, is Burn this the next day? The first one happens in a week. Do you, do you want to hear the plot? Sure. Okay. So, this picks up directly after the first one, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, Barry Boswick is the head of the company that they worked for that uh, Bernie was embezzling money from. Gotcha. Um, he thinks that they were in cahoots with Bernie. Mm. So now they're under investigation. Through some wacky series of events, uh, they, they find out that there's a treasure in the Caribbean and voodoo somehow brings Bernie back, not to life, but he can dance. Oh, there, lead, so it is. Lead them to the treasure. It is sort of like a zombie thing. They use voodoo to bring him back mm. and lead him to the treasure. That's fucking weird. Uh, Terry Kyes is really good slapstick. Let's just put it that way. He's mm-hmm. good with the physical comedy. And uh, those two guys, Andrew McCarthy and Jonathan Silverman, are really good together. They bounce off each other well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can see why people <laughs> hate it, but there are isolated moments where it is pretty funny, and it knows the movie knows that it's stretching this premise to the breaking point. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's so much mileage you can get out of like just flopping a dead body around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, yeah. So the weirdly enough, there's a lot of um, it's almost like Serpent and the Rainbow. If it was a farce, what a what a weird uh, thing that I didn't expect to talk about. Yeah, so uh, I I'm I'm assuming they didn't do well, so we didn't get Wigan and Burns three. Yeah, yeah, but there's still yeah. time. Those two guys are still around. Terry Kaiser isn't that right? Actually, he might still be alive. That'd be it'd be real funny if he was like ninety trying to do this. I like the first movie. I know it's slow brown, stupid. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look them up. Um, I like the first one, too. So I could see this being like a fun thing, especially if you were a kid. He's still alive. He is 84. Well, he can do it. Like, he can next do week. it. Legacy yeah. sequel, man. Yeah. How crazy is that? Dies. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like, why are you still propping this guy up after uh, three decades? He's a skeleton at this point. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's a little yeah. bit harder to hide. Yeah. He could be like a Ray Harryhausen skeleton. That'd be crazy, actually. You know, and then it turns into like a, a Terminator sequel where they just like it's a they get some Boston Dynamics endoskeleton and put it. Yeah. And then Bernie becomes a Terminator. The, Bernie the is liquid Terminator. metal. The Berminator. Yes. The only uh natural progression. <laughs> uh, I like how I'm gonna give you points. Because you had a better uh, tagline than they did, so. I don't know. I thought that tagline was funny. He's still dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what he shows okay. you. They know. They know the premise is stupid. Yeah. Um. Well, I suggested in the notes there were two things we could have done. Um. Obviously, we could just go with like a Sean Connery, or Wesley Snipes filmography, though. Thought given that we were talking, we were doing this specifically because Michael Crichton adapted his own novel for this. Do you want to maybe do best uh, Michael Crichton 
adaptation films or even more specific best Michael Crichton adapted films that he did himself because his filmography except for one film is adaptations of his own stuff I got one do you want to go with that then like specifically Michael Crichton's adaptations or do you want to branch out a little bit into anything that's been adapted of his works uh, yeah, well, dude, can we do the latter because I don't really think he's. Yeah, there's there's more in that. Like and, adapted, and yeah. I'll say, given that we all know that we all love Jurassic Park, we probably could say, excluding Jurassic Park. I got one for you. I do. And it was a big bomb at the time, but I, I remember Jimmy's. Is. I yeah, I think I know too. I'm not gonna pick it because I know he's gonna pick it anyway. Um, so it was a big bomb at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh. 13th Warrior. Oh, that's a good What? I love that movie. Yeah, but we know what you're going with. I know what he's going with, and I like that movie a lot too, Jimmy. I know what you're going to say. But yeah. What am I going to say? 13th Warrior is basically like uh, his adaptation of Beowulf. I think Jimmy's going to say Congo. No. Sphere. Sphere. Oh, man. Congo's better, though. Sphere is like Jimmy's favorite movie. That's what we're oh, yeah. leading to. In 1998, yeah. we're going to finally get to Jimmy's favorite film. Oh, yeah. No, I, lo- I love Sphere. So we it's so long, but it? like, damn. Because, like, if you like, like, those, like, science fiction, like, uh, like, thrillers where, like, everybody's going to die, like, Sunshine, like, that fits into that. Like, that's my, like, that's my cup. That's my cup of tea. It's like Event Horizon if it was on Simon. Yeah. And then also like uh, I I also like uh, um, the abyss. So like that part like that like that, that just ties it to yeah, yeah. Or then deep blue sea with the uh, mako sharks. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, that, like just like underwater crap is terrifying. It's place like just like just you're you're still on Earth. So you're you're isolated. You might as well be in space. <laughs> but yeah. All right, so Sphere, Thirteenth Warrior, which is uh, what novel, by the way? Do you know? Eaters of the Dead. Yeah, I like that title. I kind of wish they'd kept that. But it's basically him doing Beowulf. Yeah, yeah. but like Thanks. with a real historical context, because there was a, a Muslim uh, explorer that just yeah, kind of no... tagged along with the Vikings. Yeah, there's no, there's no creature. <clears throat> they don't even hint at it. It's not like the village where they pull the rug out from under you, where you think there's yeah. creatures and there's not. Yeah, because yeah. like the, uh, the Muslim character is like from in in a civilization of like logic and science, because like uh, um, and then interacting with these barbarians, so to speak, and like uh, he's like, there's got to be a logical explanation, because like there's like, uh, here comes the verm, uh, it's coming, and like just like there's a little bit of mysticism, but like it's like logic prevails, and we'll. Yeah. Uh, Carries John McTiernan, great speak- action director. Speaking of historical context, I have to go with timeline. Hey, get out! It was, I mean, yeah. Listen, no. it was yeah. it was schlock, but it was like, yeah, it was it was a weird movie, but I enjoyed it. And it's a, a surprising performance from um, Gerard Walker. Butler. Uh, Gerard Butler's good, but uh, what's Paul Walker. Yeah, yeah, Paul, Paul Walker's Walker. actually trying in that film. Yeah, uh, was that? I mean, I'm a sucker for the movies, but. But it's surprisingly. It's, it's, it's you know why it makes it so bad because your expectations so high because it's Michael Crane and it's Richard Donner. Right. Right. And the book is actually surprisingly good. They go into like speaking of the weird stuff. I I had the book, 
interesting. Mm-hmm. I wish they'd gone into the weirder stuff with the time travel. Like, there's like quantum foam between their fingers. Like, I remember yeah. small little details like that. I wish the movie had gone to stuff like that. Yeah. It's basically them going back to the Renaissance Fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I could see why it's got some schlocky, guilty pleasure fun to it. It was also 2003, and it was a very weird time in my life. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Can't wait to hear uh, what Tristan picks. Well, I don't want to go to the Lost World because that's essentially Jurassic Park as well. They're so going to do Congo, right? I'm going to combine them both, but I feel like I should just go with Westworld if we're going with movies. See, that was, yeah. I've never seen sense. the movie. But yeah, Richard Richard movie. Benjamin is surprisingly good in that. And Neil Brenner is the one. He's the lead. The, uh, yeah. crazy. Um, but Richard Benjamin is a nice surprise in that. Uh, he's, it's a good he, movie. Yeah. He he puts in a good performance. So the, I uh, was almost going to go with ER because essentially he adapted his nonfiction novel, Five Patients, to be like uh-huh. those were some stories of him as a doctor. And so he just adapted his time in Chicago. <laughs> Since you picked Westworld, have you ever seen Future World? I have not yet. Uh, so he directed it or wrote it as well. I don't remember if that was remember. part of it. Films based. And on I realize he directed the movie. Yeah, he directed the. Oh, you he know didn't what? Future World. You know, Tristan. You know, I'm surprised you didn't pick Runaway. I have actually never seen it. Oh. Oh wait, no, I have seen that. I didn't know that was Crichton. Yeah, we talked about it not too long ago. Yeah. I thought he just directed it. I didn't realize he had also had a novel that he'd adapted. Interesting. Huh. That makes, that makes me appreciate it more. Yeah. Tom's it's that's a little bit of a hidden gem, like Tom Selleck as a future cop. Yeah. So uh yeah, I, I feel like if I if I didn't go with this, I probably would have gone with maybe Eaters of the Dead. But I don't know. They're all great choices, so uh obviously Crichton was a prolific author and uh it was very easy to ad- adapt his works especially because they're a little fantastical it's not like your typical Grisham as, as great as the firm is you always have these uh interesting premises that Crichton would put you into right functionary tales yeah it also makes sense why he ended up adapting a couple of them because I think he just wanted to be a filmmaker you know <laughs> yeah like he did the great train robbery and stuff like that I've never mm-hmm. seen yeah, I haven't seen that. That's the book that I got from the Rare Bookstore, a first print, a first mm. edition of uh, that. So I'm hoping to read that soon and maybe finally watch it. But yeah, I think Rising Sun was a decent adaptation. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Apparently, well, actually, on that note, I, mm. like well, one of the things that was on the trivia was. Uh, Crichton and someone else like left the project because of oh uh infighting because of how Paul was how he was directing Phil it. Oh Kaufman. How Paul how Phil Kaufman was directing it. Hang on, let me find Interesting. Because I, I was gonna ask, I noticed under the research that I was doing, uh he is listed as a writer, so is Philip Kaufman, but then there's this guy, Michael Backus, who doesn't have any other credits. Yeah. So so I was curious who Michael the, Backus was. The second of five trivia pieces, Michael mm-hmm. Crichton and Michael Backus quit the project largely over disagreements with writer and director Philip Kaufman that one of the lead characters should be changed to a black man. So this opens up a whole other can of worms. So now Michael Crichton's a racist. Like, I'm so, not, so I guess okay. 
I guess Webb Smith wasn't supposed to be Wesley Snipes. I originally. guess not. Also, uh, interesting. Again, this is IMDb trivia, so who knows how <laughs> sure. accurate this? Yeah, we didn't we didn't talk about the fact that um, this movie came out well after two Terminator films, and still his name is John Connor. Like, there's a million names you could use. Yeah, you um, chose to make the lead of your film John Connor. So canonically, this takes place in the Terminator universe. This is just. John Connor grows up to be Sean Connery. This is an alternate back universe where be... John Connor's a weave and doesn't have to <laughs> See, they were doing the multiverse even back then. Weave that's, detective. That's why you get nervous when they start using AI. <laughs> right. All right. Anyway. So next month, uh, we're going to dig into the actor who was one of the reasons that we uh, formed this podcast. We've covered him before back in uh, 1991. 1990 with Air America, uh, but he's back, and we're going to see all of his heart and souls. It's a uh, weird ghost comedy, and uh, we're going to see if Jeff likes it because I'm—I guarantee he's never even heard of it. I don't know that you would have either, Jimmy. Mm -hmm. But it was a classic that was in rotation in my house as a kid. So, so I'm a little excited to see if you like this. What is it? Heart and Heart Souls. And Soul. That's the name of the movie. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. join us next month for that. Uh, remember to rate, review wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple or Spotify. Don't go to Stitcher because that's shutting down, apparently. Um, uh -oh. I don't know what will come of us if podcast stuff exists. Follow us on Threads? I don't know. Yeah, come to Threads. That's the same place. <laughs> Definitely not a uh, front for Zuckerberg to take even more information. Welcome to the internet. Yeah, this is what Crichton was warning us about in Rising Sun. Yep, it's future technology. Deuces.